Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. to see you and uh, thank you for the worship I, I God ministered to me I, I just appreciated the passion and uh, the focus on God so thank you and I want to have uh, Patty stand up sweetie if you'd stand this is uh, my uh, lovely wife oh. okay thank you dear she likes me to do this so that I don't get spit in my mouth that you see so <laughs> So, there we go. And by the way, in June, we will have been married 40 years. So, aren't you shocked at how young she looks? And, uh, but uh, anyway, I'm, I, I'm not going to be funny. At, I was going to be funny, but this is as funny as it gets, okay? Right? Uh, because of time, I'm not going to try to do the funny stuff. So, see? Okay, I'm naturally funny, all right? But... Uh, it's a, it's a privilege to talk to you about the book of Ephesians. And uh, I, I am a, a fan of the Apostle Paul. I think anyone who reads the New Testament regularly uh, falls in love with Paul. I think he's one of the greatest human beings that walked on this planet. And uh, this is one of his greatest letters. I think it's authentically Pauline. Uh, you know, if, if any of you are scholars, you might know that in this last century there have been people that have kind of questioned that. But I think it's crazy, it's silly. This is from the heart of Paul. And uh, I I, want to have us just jump right in and read from the first chapter. And then we're going to move around a little bit in our Bibles to to get a sense of the story behind this book. But I I think it's important to just let the scripture ring out. and, And particularly this first chapter, which I think captures something of the heart of Paul for this church that he had invested his life in. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read just the first two verses, then I'm going to jump to uh, verse 15. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, this 3 through 14 is one sentence in Greek. It's this long sentence in participles and uh, it's wonderful and I'm sure that that's going to be something Travis will preach on. But I want... Uh, well, it's not Greek, but it's a great sentence of stuff. Uh, verse 15. It says, For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Let me say, that's not a gratuitous statement that you just say to ingratiate yourself with people. This is something that he cared about deeply. And we'll talk more about these people he's writing to. But he, he cares for them. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Take note of that. So that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and the, His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fills everything in every way. Those are uh, remarkable words. But I, I need to say something about Paul, just so that we, you know, I don't know that everyone understands and knows kind of the story of Paul, but, you know, he was he is self-described Hebrew of Hebrews. You know, trained as a Pharisee, zealous for the law, you know, he began to be the persecutor of these followers of Jesus and, and fought them with, with his whole passion and strength. Many of you know that in Acts chapter 9, he's on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, having been a part of Stephen's stoning. Uh, and now he's on his way uh, to, to imprison and arrest and seize the property of Christians in Damascus. And on the way there, he encounters Jesus. It's a supernatural revelation. You know, he is blinded by this glorious appearance he sees and he is converted uh, and becomes, here this persecutor of the church becomes a follower of Jesus. In fact, I'd like to just read to you and you don't need to turn there because I don't want you to try to keep up with me. But in Acts chapter 26, he describes that and what Jesus called him to do because it relates to what we were going to read in Ephesians. He says, I am, this is what Jesus said to Paul on that Damascus road. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And I am sending you to them, to the Gentiles to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that you, they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And that's, that's this commission that Paul goes on. And I, want, I wish we had time to talk about his life and what happens between this and when he'll end up uh, going to this place in Ephesus. But it, it's a, it, the story behind the letter really is in the book of Acts. And I would like you to turn to chapter 18 in the book of Acts. And I'm going to kind of read some and have you follow along with me because we need to cover this kind of quickly. But, but the story of this letter begins by what Luke records. Luke, in the book of Acts, records the story of the infant church. And when he does this, he, he, he's particularly focused on the life of Paul. In fact, I think the book of, of Acts was actually written for Paul's defense in Rome, which is something we don't have time to talk about either. But 
he, uh, Paul is, is, you know, begins these missionary journeys in Acts chapter 13. And he's going to go on three journeys. And what he's primarily going to do is evangelize what's the lower part of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And he, he does two journeys that are essentially for that. Actually, on his second journey, crosses the Aegean Sea, evangelizes Philippi and several cities, breaks the gospel into to, uh, Europe. And I don't know how many of you have ever read in Acts chapter 16. Before he goes over the Aegean Sea, it says that he wanted to go north into Asia Minor. But it says the Holy Spirit forbid him. And probably where he wanted to go was to Ephesus. But for whatever reason, the Lord didn't let him go yet. And so he goes, and there's this great evangelistic campaign. He ends up back in Antioch, and then in Acts chapter 18, he starts out, if you look in, down in, uh, let's see, where do we want to begin? Uh, let's look at uh, verse uh, 22. It says, after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard of him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now Paul had left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. Because he couldn't stay there. He had gone and traveled there and basically realized, I don't have time at this point. This is not what I'm to do. And he leaves them in charge. And so they they help Apollos, who, by the way, will go on to Corinth and minister there. But in Acts chapter 19, verse 1, we start this story that uh, really helps us see Paul's ministry as it begins in Ephesus. It says, While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so Paul asked, What was the baptism you received? John's baptism. And by the way, what happens now is that he leads these people into the fullness of a Christian experience. Probably they were been influenced by Apollos or whoever influenced Apollos. And they lead him, they find this experience of the filled with the Spirit. They prophesy, they speak with tongues. And it begins the significant ministry. Paul will stay at least two years, maybe as much as three years in Ephesus. And, it, and, and that much of that story is in Acts chapter 19. This, the story of him teaching daily, uh, t- t- of these accounts where these sons of Siva go and try to cast out demons and they can't you know, really do it. They get the tar beat out of them and run out naked. And it says, I know Jesus, these demons say, and I know Paul, but who are you? But that begins this focus of, of, of a revival. Tim and June talked about a revival. What happens in Ephesus? And people are brought to the Lord. And, and, and we, need to, we need to understand something. Because in Acts chapter 19, it tells us that all these people brought uh, their magic arts. And they sell it for 50,000, listen, days wages. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's equivalent to like 50 to 60 million dollars of, of these kinds of things that had been used in the practice of their magic arts. 
But there's a revival that breaks out. But the people, by the way, that are... there's a, well, Actually, let me back up and say a little thing about Ephesus because I think it might help us as we, as we consider what's going on here. Ephesus was Rome's provincial capital for Asia. It was one of the richest regions. It was a city of a quarter million people. Uh, it, what's, what's unique about it was that it was a, a place, not only a commercial center, a very prosperous commercial center, but it was the, the place of the temple of Diana or of Artemis Ephesia. It was a cult, a religious cult. One of the, the many cults in the Greco-Roman world. Religious pluralism confused. But there was this temple... By the way, not only Diana or Artemis was... They actually dedicated a month of the year to her. It was, they named a month after her. They had annual Olympic kinds of contests that were, were dedicated to her. They had annual events. They, they celebrated a nativity kind of event of Diana. And it was and they were the, they were like the savings and loan, by the way, for the region, because there was so much invested in uh, Artemis. There was a temple that was some would call one of the seven wonders of the world at the time, two hundred and twenty five by four hundred and fifty feet, sixty feet high, and and it was it was it had tremendous influence. And when that revival breaks out in Ephesus. And all of those magic arts kinds of paraphernalia are brought and, and in a sense sacrificed. What has happened is it's, it's, it's hitting commercial economic issues. How many of you know that raises a stink? It's trouble. And so a riot ensues. Paul's going to have to eventually escape the region. But, but the thing is, is this was a very confused place. That there were other cults. Besides this, this significant cult of Artemis, there were other cults. It was confused. There was a, the, a, a, a Jewish religious community that existed there. That, that's where Paul started at. That's where Apollos started at. And that becomes what will be an infant church. That in that three years that Paul's there, there's this whole network of house churches that are established. And it's, it's, a, it's a part of the most significant work. If, if you note in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, the ministry of Paul there, it says, This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And that, that's, a, that's a remarkable... I mean, Ephesus became such a center for the gospel and Paul's ministry there and this network of house churches became a center that the gospel went out. And and the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 that we read about, you know, Philadelphia, Thyatira, Pergus, all these churches, they were established because of the ministry of Paul and this vital, vibrant, missional church that was established there. I mean, think about that, 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 that all the Jews and Greeks heard the word of God. It became an a evangelized area because of the work of God, the work of the Spirit. Now, let me say that there's, there's a, a reasons Paul writes that follow that story in Acts chapter 19. 
In fact, in Acts chapter 20, if any of you have read that, he, Paul parts those, those elders, the leaders that he's established. Because Paul's whole focus in that three years was to establish these churches, raise up leaders, and then to go on to continue his ministry to, to the Gentiles. And he leaves them in Acts chapter 20. And, so, and it's an amazing charge when he says, I, I, you know, I preach day and night. I fulfill my call. I preach the word of God to you. Now I'm letting you go. I'm handing it to you. And he warns them, by the way, he says, someday, you know, there will arise from among you. And he says this prophetically. He says, wolves from your own midst. But he charges them to try to guard the faith and despite that, to hold true. And, and, and the Ephesians church ends up being a very faithful church. You can read about that. It's the very first church in Ephesians chapter, in Revelation chapter 2. It says, they kept the word. But there were other issues. They lost their first love. But it was a vital, vital church. Paul leaves it. He goes off, continues uh, uh, that journey back. He goes to Jerusalem, is arrested, spends two years in Caesarea. And five years later, when he's in Rome, he writes this letter. And what's happened in those five years is there's been an explosion of Gentile believers. There's been just an influx of all these Gentiles, by the way, that came in from that that influence of of Artemis, from the influence of the magic arts. Uh, And and so when he writes this letter, he's he's writing to all these Gentiles. You know, when we read in chapter, uh, what is it, chapter 1... When he, he says, in verse, for this reason, ever since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, he's talking about those Gentiles, these, these thousands of Gentile believers that have come in in the last five years. And he cares. You see, this is, people always talk about Ephesians. It's a, it's a great theological treatise. Oh, the grand theology of the first three chapters of Ephesus, and indeed it is. In fact, it, it's it's some of the, the of the most eloquent writing Paul ever makes, and it, it's filled with this sense of liturgy and and, and the hymn remnants that are in those chapters. It's about the greatness of God and, and Jesus' preeminence. It, it's passionate. I mean, that's the only way to describe it. But he 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 writes to a people he loves. He isn't writing just to give them a theology. He's writing because he wants these believers to be established in the greatness of God, in the preeminence of Jesus Christ. He writes a pastoral letter, not a theological letter. Theology is, should always be pastoral. In other words, in our culture, we tend to abstract things. We tend to, to take theology and kind of create this neck-up approach. It's the abstract truths and doctrines, ecclesiology and Christology and soteriology and all of those kinds of things, which I care about. I read systematic theology in the throne room, if you know what I mean. So, I, mean I love theology. Excuse me. As much as I love it, I'm afraid of the way we abstract things. The way we we make theology. And good theology should be about worship. See, that's. You want to see Paul theologize? Read that long Greek sentence from chapter 1, 3 through 14. He's filled with these, these ejaculatory praises to God. To the praise of his glory, he says. Because God is, is to be worshipped and loved and honored and revered. 
And so theology is not about God. Theology is to know God. And that's what he's doing in this letter to these Gentiles. He's seeking to bring them to... He's confronting, by the way, I think, in this letter, because, you know, Travis pointed out the first three chapters, the last three chapters. What he does is is he's challenging the notion of, of how we sometimes separate belief from behavior. Because what he's basically saying is to believe is to be transformed. Here are these things, these amazing things about who God is, what He's done, how He's accepted, how He's adopted, how He's blessed us, how He's transformed us through the grace of God. And then he says, okay, therefore, this ought to radically rearrange your life. And he talks about what it is to to walk with God, to walk worthy of the calling we've received. He talks about what it is then to to be imitators of God as dear children. It's relational. It's a relational letter. And he talks about what it is to walk in order, the family, and so on and so forth. Just an amazing, amazing letter. You know, and I just want to say again, it's a letter of a man that cared and was all about people being pastored and moved forward. There are three things I'd like to mention here that I think uh, that they're important to note in this. And, and Travis has already mentioned sort of the, the, uh, the, the contours of this. But I think there are, there are three points that aren't often, I think, recognized when people think about Ephesians. First of all, is that I think Paul was writing to these Gentiles, this, this mass of people that had come to Christ over the last five years since he had been there. And he's concerned that these people have come in, as I mentioned earlier, from this, this environment of religious pluralism, this environment of spirits, magic, you know, demons. And he's concerned that they understand the preeminence of Jesus. And that's, you know, we just read that, by the way, that Jesus is over all. That he has been elevated. In fact, chapter 2, we all talk about our position in Jesus Christ and our identity in Jesus Christ. He talks about Jesus in chapter 1 has been elevated and lifted up above all power and authority and dominion. All of those magic things, those spirits, those powers. Jesus is over them all. And then what does he tell us in Ephesians chapter 2? He seated us with him in those heavenly realms. So that, listen, so that these Gentiles don't need to fear demons and fear this magic stuff. Listen, let's use a word today, superstition. Well, I don't know about this. See, because I think he was concerned about syncretism. I don't know if you know that, the idea of syncretism. It's where, you you know, you convert, but then you bring a whole lot of baggage with you that ends up changing the very thing you converted to. And he writes them to say, no, no, no. Jesus is over all. He's over all. And I think he's also confronting fear. There's a lot of fear that people have about powers and principalities. You know, some of you, I don't know how many of you saw the transformations videos, uh, but uh, there, there are marvelous issues of looking at how powers and principalities can be broken through intercession. Uh, George Otis Jr. put them together. Have any of you seen any of those? But some of you were aware that, that there, there is this tendency a lot of times for people to, to convert to Jesus but continue to be afraid of powers and principalities. Paul's challenging that. He's challenging that. Jesus is preeminent. He's also dealing with something that happens when a church grows. 
And you guys are growing. I lo- this is an amazing place. You guys, I love the young faces. I love the energy and passion here. I mean, this is, it reminds me when I was Travis's age planning a church that this is what it looked like. Now, you know, there's a lot of gray wherever I go sometimes. But I still feel young. I really do. But I just don't look at it anymore. So... But, but what happens when a church grows is that, that, you know, I mentioned there was a Jewish community. A lot of Paul's early ministry in Ephesus was to a Jewish community. Now, there were a lot of Gentiles that were converted, but there had been this mass of Gentiles later, and there are tensions between Jew and Gentile. Coming both angles, by the way, both the Jews toward the Gentiles and the Gentiles toward the Jews. And Paul has to write and say, wait a minute, you guys. There aren't two churches. There aren't the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. God has united them. Maybe in the past we were divided. But now in Jesus Christ, He's brought us together. That wall of separation between Jew and Gentile has been brought down through the blood of Jesus Christ. And now He's brought us together for one new man, the church of Jesus. It isn't Jew or Gentile. It isn't slave or free. It's one in Jesus Christ. And that's part of what he does in this letter. And he addresses that practically. Talks about getting along. Are you, are you all okay? Are you breathing? I'm, I'm, I'm going fast, all right? I drank caffeinated coffee this morning. That's true. I really did. We had a two and a half hour drive. I don't dra- normally drink caffeine. And if I, I just want to acknowledge it because probably after this is over, Patty will say, you were going fast. <laughs> I also know I only have so much time, okay? But, but Paul writes to, to bring a church together. This is often called the, the great ecclesiological letter, ecclesia, the church. And it is that. But again, it's about people getting along. Yeah, I'm troubled sometimes the way we read the Bible. You know, I'm troubled that we don't see how every day it is, practical life, forgiveness. Anybody here need to forgive? If you're breathing, you need to forgive. You know, Tim said the seminary of life. You know, when people ask me, where'd you go to seminary? I say, I'm married to her. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, I've learned more about what it is to be a man of God being married to Patty 40 years because I found out I'm a selfish jerk. And so Ephesians was written for me. It really was. And it was also written for those who steal, those who lie, those who get angry, those that that are human beings needing to be transformed by Jesus. So so it's not this theological letter. It's a letter about the greatness of God who transforms us. The other thing that Paul does is is he, he really is just that. He's trying to cultivate a Christian lifestyle in a pagan, confused culture. How many of you know we need that today in our confused culture? And so he 
emphasizes the preeminence of Jesus. He emphasizes the church as Christ's body. He emphasizes this practical Christian living. And I wish I had time to talk about this cosmic eschatology. This idea of reigning with Jesus Christ that the powers and principalities now see the wisdom of God being made known through the church. And that that is not just practical, earthly. That's eternal. I mean, we are going to reign with Jesus Christ. You and I are going to live beyond this life. And that's, that's another piece of this book that uh, we just don't have time to touch. But I love this letter. I love this letter. And so let me let me just let me kind of bring this to to focus by basically having us consider again Paul's words in chapter one. You know, as he as he tells us that he hasn't ceased praying, he hasn't ceased giving thanks. Verse seventeen. Now look at this church, dear God. I I, I just I so want you to to catch what he says here. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, those are words from a man who loved God. The glorious Father, I can feel His passion. The glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's that's a knowing that transcends just reason alone. It's not just about formulas and constructs. It's about this knowing that that is deep within our being. Because he, he unpacks it. He'll give you this spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you'll know Him better. Know Him better. This is what Paul means. See, that, that you have to, to put that alongside his words in, in Philippians chapter 3 when he says, I count everything loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. You hear that I might know Him. That's what He wants for us, to know Him. And I mean, I ask you today, do you know Him that way? Do you? He says, I pray that the the eyes of your heart, that inner you, I talked about this last time I was with you in April, this, this thing down inside here, which is the real me, it's the inside me, the non faking me, that is the one that I live with and know, the one that can be a wretch, the one that can be a cheat, the one that can scheme and con, even when I'm smiling. The heart. He's wanting to get to that. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. That you would see all that God has given you. All the the hope that He has for your life. The vision, the dream He has for your life. That you would know the riches of what He's given you in Jesus. Adopting you who were cast afar off. He's brought you into His family. That you would know all that He's given you as His sons and daughters you know the power of the, the very life that caused a body that was dead to live again. Oh, that you would know that. And that just doesn't come by reading and by, by cognition. It comes by the Spirit of God. Let me, let, me, let me close with just saying this. In 1984, I'd been a believer for 12 years. I'd been a pastor for six 
But I, I, if, if you had to categorize me, I was what you'd call a truth technician. I mean, I knew the Bible. I did. I memorized so much of the Bible in my early years. I could cut people up and make them bleed in the name of Jesus' name. I mean, I could. I, I knew you. You're, I'll get you. Let's get doctrinally precise. Believe. You got to believe the truth. 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 I was sword of the spirit. Watch them bleed. They're wrong. Just bleed. I'll just preach like this. I think maybe this is telling me I'm, it's about time to get done. All right. Now you're really in trouble. I got rid of my notes. So, But I was a truth technician. And, and I, I, I took a drive to take my, my at the time, my oldest daughter, and she's still the oldest daughter. <laughs> but she, <laughs> I got a lot more to say. So uh, she was young, is what I was going to say at the time. She was she was in camp, and I think she was 14 years old. In fact, she she was going to turn. She was 13, going to turn 14. But I drove her up to a camp in Mendocino County, and I was listening to the, these tapes by this Bible teacher on devotional life. And 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 I I have to tell you. It was as clear as I've had it. It's one of the five or ten times I could say God spoke to me. I've never heard an audible voice. But this was as clear as anything I've heard. I'm listening to these tapes on devotional life. And and the Lord said to me, if you'll go back and do this, you'll never be the same. And so I I got back home. It was August 1984 before many of you were born. That irritates me. But... But I, I went home and I started getting up an hour early. And that was really something for me. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't get up and say, oh, hallelujah, praise God, here I am. It was like, oh, my God, this is early. <laughs> and, and I got up. And, but listen, I honestly and openly spent time with Jesus. And I, and I just did it with this kind of thing. God, I don't really think I know you. And I, here I am. I see the stuff about you, about your love and about your faithfulness and all this stuff. And I know it's true up here, but I don't know that I know it. And so, Lord, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to tell you that this is a drag sometimes, but I'm going to do this. And over the next six to eight weeks, all I can tell you is, is the eyes of my heart. We're enlightened. And God, I discovered the love of God. You know, I messed up now when I think about just the way I saw the love of God. It just, I don't even, I can't describe it with words because words are inadequate for the way I saw the Lord. That's what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about just knowing abstract theology. He's talking about knowing him, him, knowing God. Loving him. You know, I, I, I don't even like doing what I'm doing right now. Not apologizing for it, just because I don't want you to think you've got to do this. But it's something that happens that God wants for each and every one of us to know him better. And that's, that's what this letter is about. And that's what Travis will be talking about. God grace you. God grace you as a people. 
May he give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvisalia.com. Until next time. There is a heavenly city that I'm compelled to find. Oh, I love the flowers and trees and the smell of the grinding sea. And all the beautiful things here in life And I, I'm a pilgrim here on the side of the grave Divide